guys. Welcome back to the Forking Wellness Podcast. My name is Barry Strickoff, Registered Dietitian. And I'm Sophie Bertrand, Registered Nutritionist, and we are the authors of the Forking Wellness book and obviously the Forking Wellness Podcast. Each week we sit down and we discuss all things health and wellness from debunking diet myths to nutrition information, lifestyle factors, etc. Stick with us while we try and work out what the Fork Wellness really is. I don't even know what we do. So this week's Walking Wellness episode is sponsored by Nine Meals from Anarchy, who are a vegetable stock brand that make their products with actual vegetables. They have over 75% vegetables, which is 10 times more than most available. And they have half the salt of most of the available veg stocks on the market. They are palm oil free, gluten free, sugar free, organic and vegan. Each jar makes 14 portions. So that's seven liters of vegetable stock, which is a lot. And they are so easy to add to so many different meals. I love using them for my meals that I use for batch cooking, like soups and stews and curries. Same. This is definitely going into my weekly ramen meal. Um, So they have three amazing flavors. The original veg stock, which is quite universal, a big hit of flavor, elevating everything else around it. The garden herb, which is a delicious mix combining the depth of hardier cooking herbs along with freshness of softer ones. And my favorite is the umami, the savory moorishness and lovely rich base note that makes all the best foods so good. If you want to try Nine Meals from Anarchy, go to www.ninemealsfromanarchy.co.uk. There is free postage with orders of three or more jars and we will add all the details to the show notes of this episode. Enjoy. Hi guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the Forking Wellness Podcast. We are here with a very special guest today who has a PhD. It's Dr. Heather McKee, who is a health behavior change specialist. Um, So we're going to be talking all about kind of habit forming, habit changes, and that side of wellness today, which is very exciting. Hi, Heather. Hi, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to chat to you. We talk so much about um, building habits and building Mm -hmm. positive habits on the podcast. So it's great to hear um, from an expert today. But please like introduce yourself to the Forking Wellness community and how you got into this. Yeah, great question. Um, so I'm Heather. Um, my background actually originally was in sports science um, and health. And then I went on to study exercise, psychology. And then it was at, it was when I was working, I was working at a metabolic syndrome clinic in um, in Ireland. And we had, you know, the most amazing facilities, the most amazing gym, and we had such an incredible team. Um, And it just baffled me why, you know, people couldn't make the changes last. And so many people just tended to relapse so much. And I ended up just sitting down with every single person that we had in the clinic and talking, just having a chat, basically, and and talking, talking through with them, you know, what was getting in the way, what was stopping them, you know, they had all these amazing facilities. And that just really opened my eyes up to the fact that, you know, for each individual, we have different barriers that we need to overcome. There's different things that get in the way. We all have different levels of competencies. We have different levels of confidence. We have different levels of things that are happening in life, basically. And that just kind of got me hooked. And uh, I went on then to do a PhD in the University of Birmingham in the psychology of weight loss. Um, and it was all about how do you lose weight without dieting? So how do you create those long lasting um, habits that you need to actually create 
maintainable changes over time. And so what we looked at was what were the difference between the long-term maintainers and those people that kind of relapsed or regained weight over time and what were the key habits that they had. And then we looked at how we could train those in, in individuals. So we did a, a couple of studies where we looked at a typical kind of weight loss intervention, which was just diet and exercise um, advice versus building people's psychological skills. Um, and the psychological skills group weren't allowed to change your diet or exercise and the diet and exercise group weren't allowed you know, do any psychological skills. And we found that both groups were as effective, but for the ones that were in the psychological uh, uh, weight loss and weight loss maintenance over time. But those that were in the psychological skills group at higher self-efficacy, so they had more confidence in themselves, they had lower levels of depression, lower levels of anxiety, increased mindfulness. And it was just really, really interesting to see how people could, you know, by enhancing their psychological skills, by focusing more on their habits, focusing less on, you know, the weight on the scales and less of the what we're typically taught around weight loss, actually how it, it helped them be more effective over time. Um, and at that stage, when that, when that, um, paper got it was published in a um, in, a, in a, a, a journal in the US and it kind of got taken up by the US media and we got a lot of kind of inquiries about well I want to lose weight without dieting or I, I want to know how this works and I never really thought about kind of actually really didn't want to set up my own business <laughs> because I was like there's no such thing as behavior change health behavior change specialist that's why it's such a, a mouthful and there was no there is no uh, field for that yet. And I just thought, oh, it's going to be terribly hard work <laughs> to do this. But people kept asking, you know, how do we find out these ways? And um, so, yeah, then I started, you know, working with a number of charities, um, helping them create, you know, well-being programs, either digital or in-person, um, to help, you know, people stick with their habits long-term. And a lot of that now is the work that I do. So I work with kind of apps and digital health companies. And then I've got a, a course um, that individuals can go on, which is my bite-sized habits course, which is all about creating healthy habits that last. So my obsession in a nutshell is how do we maintain behaviors long-term after we uh, get over the initial excitement and motivation, you know, how do we get them to stick around? I've got so many questions off of the back of what you just said. It's probably because it was so long. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> it's, it's very, amazing. very interesting. Yeah. Just firstly, is the work that you do, is that more with clients then that do have this weight loss goal or is it healthy habits in general, whether that be goals in life or going on a walk every day? Like, is it more specific or is it more general what you do? Great question. Um, so it used to be quite specific. So I used to do a bit of coaching, um, but now it's a little bit more general. So my bite-sized habits course, most people that do the course tend to approach it from a weight loss point of view. Um, and, but it's it, the foundations and the principles of behavior change are the same regardless of the particular habits. Um, the content changes, but the but the actual foundations and the principles remain the same. So a lot of the work that I do with companies and digital apps would be like, 
you know, helping them design a, a mental health app that helps you kind of engage with mental health, positive mental health habits, or an exercise, um, you know, a piece of exercise tech, you know, helping people engage with that and actually create a habit around using that. Um, so I like to say I make apps sticky, um, but I mean that in a really good way. Um, but yes, yeah, so I work on an individual level and then I work with companies as well. Um, and and it, it can range, you know, I just worked with a company recently that was all about productivity and leadership um, habits as well um, and I kept saying so my background is in health and my love is health so it's all about exercise mental health you know dietary changes all of the fun stuff for health because that is my love but um, I warned them as well I said I this is not my you know I'm not a specialist in productivity by any means <laughs> but um yeah, it was so interesting to see that the, how the behaviours or the, the frameworks and the theories then apply across fields, which um, I'm a massive nerd, so that always really excites me as well. I love this. I actually work for a behaviour change habit-based health tech app. So everything wow. that you're saying is like so interesting. And I wonder if you've ever come across it before. Um, we can chat about that after the podcast. But um I think that is really interesting when you get like the basic tactics down for forming a habit, how you said you can then mm -hmm. translate that into so many different aspects of your life. And we actually talk a bit about forming positive habits in the working wellness book in terms of um, like, you know, if you want to run, for example, like the small, tiny habits that you can build up over time, which might just start with like placing your running shoes near the door in the morning and creating that system of like triggers and activation. Um, but yeah, I guess actually my first question would be how long does it take to form a habit? Because there's, there's no so sense. much like I hear like, oh, 60 days, like there's some random stats, right? I think it's, th I've heard yeah. three months is the most popular. Well, actually saying that I hear it takes 21 days to form a habit, but then you've got up to three months. Yeah, there's, please, please let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. You guys are really, I can see where the confusion comes in because we're, we're kind of told and we're taught in the media it's 21 days. And it's interesting because that actually comes from a study that was done in the 1960s on people's recovery from surgery. So when they had plastic surgery, mm. um, it, it, that's how long it took them to adapt to their new appearance over time. Yeah. And for some reason that just got taken and, and people ran with it and thought, oh, that's how long it takes to create a new habit. Um, but you, I think you're, you're right around the three month mark. Um, there's a study from, from UCL that shows that it's between 66 and 122 days um was the range to create um a new habit but that also depended and I think Barry you, you spoke about this um quite well just now about how complex the habit was um so the more complex it is the harder and the longer it takes um and so that's the key of kind of breaking things down into those small bite-sized chunks um so what they did in the UCL study is um they're trying to create um, teeth flossing habits. Um, so um, one strategy they use was to tell people just to floss one tooth. Um, and, you know, it all seems like a bit of a laugh. And, and I always say, you know, if, they, if you don't have a little giggle at how easy it is to start with, then you might not be doing it right. Um, <laughs> but it's the opposite way that we approach our, our goals. You know, we, we don't almost think, God, why would I ever do one tooth? But, you know, once you're there, 
um, you know, you're going to do a couple more and it just makes it easier to engage with. But the, the problem is that so many of us, you know, when it comes to habit change, we just set ourselves up with like a mountain to climb, mm. you know, and we think, you know, New Year rolls around and we're like, right, so I'm going to give up sugar. I'm going to save more. I'm going to be nice to my other half. I'm going to, you know, um, do all of the things. Um, and the thing is, the more we add in, uh, the more we actually take away from the focal goal. It's a concept called goal dilution. Um, and so it makes us less likely to be successful. And it also uses up our our willpower, which is a depletable resource. So like, you know, people start out January and they often go to the gym every day, you know, for a week, but it's actually much better to go once a week for seven weeks because that allows you to have the adequate rest and recovery to regrow your willpower muscle. I always think willpower is like a muscle bite. I exercised my right bicep for a week <laughs> and then got to Sunday, you know, I wouldn't even be able to lift up a glass of water because I'd be so exhausted. But if I, I did it in adequate steps, you know, starting small and building over time, it would get stronger over time. And, and that's exactly how we need to approach our habits, just like flossing one tooth at a time and then building up over time. However, unfortunately in, in life, you know, the opposite is true and people tend to start with a, trying to do too much too soon and, and that's when we kind of feel like we failed but actually it's it's our willpower or self-control that's failed it's not us as a, as a person that's failed and so we need to I always say you know it's we need to work on our skill power rather than our willpower and and so mm -hmm. to separate ourselves from the failure and look at it like a system failure so it's not us that failed it's our system and if we can change the system then change can happen I was going to ask you about willpower because again it's something we talk about in the book and in terms of like diet culture and the diet industry willpower mm -hmm. is kind of like well if you can't keep up with your diet you have no willpower but we know on a physiological level that that's completely incorrect and if you're restricting you know that leads to binging kind of thing so I'd love to know your kind of, I, I know you just went into it a little bit but like your take on willpower and is it our willpower like you said if you know we're not going to the gym let's say we want to start going to the gym three to four times a week and we do that for a few weeks and then we're like oh I have no willpower I can't do this anymore what's the kind of psychology behind that yeah wonderful question so interesting and it's something that we've all experienced in the past mm, right because we, we're so we hard on ourselves yeah. no you're so right we are and we we kind of have all the motive and I think the key thing for people to know is that we have all of the motivation at the start but motivation isn't what it's not the secret sauce actually the secret sauce is you know understanding ourselves and, and starting small and building incrementally and um, rather than relying on our motivation the secret sauce is not relying on our motivation and so like you said Barry you know about leaving your runners by the door or you know having your gym gear ready to go you know that's a, a change that we can make that makes us rely less on our willpower but actually engage with our environment more and, and I, as I always say you know if we're going to start off with a new habit one thing is to to change our environment first um so if we think about food habits you know we make around you know 250 food-based decisions a day maybe even more um and each time we make that decision we deplete our willpower our willpower becomes fatigued and obviously then there's other things as we go out through throughout the day that fatigue our willpower like you know having a fight with your boss or you know being not getting enough sleep or multiple things being stressed all of those things deplete our willpower so they more make us more likely to give into temptation over time 
But if we've engineered our environment to make the healthier choice the easier choice, it makes it less likely to give in to temptation. Um, and so in studies, they found that it's not necessarily people's level of self-control. It's actually people's levels of environmental engineering that have helped them resist temptation over time. So for example, if you open the fridge and the first thing you see is like the half eaten birthday cake that's left over from the night before and you're depleted or you've just had an argument or you know, you're feeling stressed that day, you know, it's much more likely that you'll give into that temptation. And the more often you see it, the more likely you are to give into that temptation. So there's a really cool study they did on um, secretaries and they put um, M&Ms on their desks. Um, and uh, one group in one company, they put them on their desk and in the other company, they put them six foot away. And those that had it on their desk ate around 200 and 300 calories more, you know, um, over the space of a week. Whereas those that had it six foot away, you know, there was friction there. So they were less likely to actually um, engage it because they had to get up and walk over. And it's the same thing with our environments at home. If we kind of open up the fridge and the first thing we see is cherry tomatoes or chopped up carrots, you know, it's more likely that we'll engage with those if there's friction created between, you know, us and, and the and the cake. And so, you know, when we want when we think about our motivation, what we want to do is preserve our motivation, preserve our willpower. And so we want to set up our environment in a way that's actually going to support us to not actually have to use us. Um, so the whole kind of you know, they would people talk about don't go to the supermarket hungry or don't do your shopping when you're hungry. That exactly applies here. You've got to think about, you know, how you pre preserve your future yourself um, and, and think about, you know, uh, so often, you know, um, we set ourselves up in a way that we think that we're going to have more willpower in the future. Um, but often um, that's not necessarily the most helpful for thing. And that's why things like batch cooking or planning our workouts in advance or anything that we can do to take that pressure off our present self and protect our future self can really, really help. Um, but going back to the exercise example, um, the key thing there is if you're just starting out, it's about understanding, um, you know, is starting with three sessions going to be overwhelming or, or maybe starting with one and, and seeing if you get two in, then it's a bonus. Whereas if we start with three and we only get two in, then it feels like a loss. So if we can approach it with a more of a gain framework. And then the crux of one of those things with these habits as well, in terms of engineering our environment is to ask ourselves, when and where am I going to exercise this week? And this is a question that so many people often miss, um, but it takes your kind of goals and habits out of the esoteric and puts them into your real life. And what I mean by that is we have to be super specific about when and where we're going to exercise. And that helps us brainstorm barriers that might get in the way. So if you say, okay, well, I'm going to exercise at you know, 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. in the evening once I finish work, but you know that your calls always run over and you never manage to, you know, finish at 6 p.m. Then, you know, the question is, is that the, the best time for you? You know, perhaps in the morning, um, you know, when your willpower isn't as depleted, might be a better time for you, you might have more free time. Um, and, you know, or if you say, oh, I'm going to meditate, um, you know, um, at a certain time of day, but, you know, that's the time when you're trying to get your like your kids out the door to school or whatever else, you know, maybe that isn't going to be the most fulfilling time for you and then um, the most complimentary time. And so 
what I would say, very long answer <laughs> to an amazing, this is such a wonderful question, but I would say, look at your environment, look how you can engineer your environment to support your habits and then ask yourself, you know, when and where am I most likely to be able to stick with this habit? And I would say experiment with that because this is one thing, you know, we're all such perfectionists when it comes to our healthy habit change. You know, we eat, eat well for four days and then we have a Snickers on day five and we think we've blown it. And, you know, it, you know, we throw the baby out with the bathwater and it's all gone. But actually, you know, we need to allow for a certain level of flexibility and a certain level of, of knowledge that, you know, we're never going to be perfect. And actually habits are for life. You know, it's not like we just brush our teeth in January and then dental hygiene is done for the rest of the year. You know, we've got, we've got to keep engaging with them if we want them to be for life. So I would say, give yourself the patience um, to experiment and find a time of day that works for you. Find environmental cues or triggers, like you said, Barry, that can help support you in engaging with that habit because that takes the willpower out of the equation and the motivation and actually helps you, you know, keep that for when you need it most. Yeah. I think you touched on so much there and so much important things that I want to like dive back into, but I think it is a really interesting approach. It's quite different. I'm not going to lie to like the intuitive mm. eating approach that we That's what kind I've of got running through my head <laughs> talk about, which, which is great. Like this podcast is for, you know, opening people's minds. There's different mm. perspectives and we have to acknowledge that, you know, just because we think one way doesn't mean that the other way isn't, you know, also an option for others. Um, but I think the thing that I, I took away from that is, so you're saying a habit is kind of this automatic action that doesn't really require willpower versus, you know, when, when you say willpower, are you talking about just like cognitive resources? So you just have to take, like, um, you have to think about it versus a habit that's automatic that you don't have to think about. Like we wake up and we brush our teeth that requires no kind of like cognitive thought or to a point now I wake up and I make my bed. That's an automatic behavior versus when I was younger, that was not an automatic behavior. And I used to get told off for it all the time. Um, but is, is what you're talking about in terms of willpower, just that, like, like that time spent thinking, which we will deplete over a day because we can only have so much thought. And if we can make some actions automatic, aka habits, we can spend more time thinking about the things that require thought, such as making bigger life decisions or navigating harder discussions with managers or partners, etc. Is that kind of what you were talking about? And I can understand that if that is what you're saying. Yeah, no, and I think you said it so beautifully. Um, yeah, so habits are non-conscious processes that are, that are automatic. So they're, they're not in the cognitive or the thinking mind. Um, however, it takes a certain amount of cognitive load to create a habit. Like you say, you know, you didn't switch from not being a bed maker to being a bed maker overnight. Um, but yeah, the beauty of habits is that once we repeat them enough, so habits are formed through context dependent repetition. And that's what I mean about environment is so important. So and what I mean by environment is where you live, you work, you play, like where you spend your time. Um, and so your context is so, so important to habit formation. Um, and repetition is so, so important to habit formation. And so in order for us to make things that aren't previously habits into habits, we need to repeat them often enough in the same context. 
And that's why the when and where um, question is so useful for people. And they've shown in, that was in the British Journal of Psychology, they've shown that when you specify when and where you're gonna exercise, you're 91% more likely to exercise and follow through with those intentions than people who just read motivational material around exercise. And so what habits do is they put, you know, daily actions and they turn intentions into actions in the present moment, but in a specific context. Um, so you're absolutely right. They, they don't tend to, once they're formed, they don't take you know, cognitive load. It's not like you lay in bed this morning, you know, weighing up the pros and cons of dental <laughs> hygiene or, you know, deciding if you're like motivated enough to brush your teeth or um, in the brushing kind of mood, you know, you did it because it was an automatic non-conscious process that happens in your bathroom or specific context and through repetition over time, you know, you don't even have to think about it anymore. Yeah, I think that's so important. It's just like in the book, I remember we were talking about, there's also like a weird thing about like breaking negative habits versus like building positive habits. And obviously the habit that I'm always trying to build is drinking more water. I am doing my best. I have my water bottle here. Um, But, um, and it's all about, you said setting up that environment and I always do my best to like take it with me, make sure that like it's visible. It's like a conscious reminder to drink. Um, sorry, my dog's scratching. You could definitely hear that. And then it also has these like timestamps on it that I never really follow, but just seeing it sometimes is like a mental reminder to drink. I don't really like pay attention. I don't like challenge myself to drink X amount by this time. It's just like drink Barry, your body could use it. Yeah, I love that. And like you said, you mentioned earlier, like, you know, habits are formed through that loop. So it's like the cue or the trigger. And then you've got the behavior, the routine in response for a particular reward. And so if you have something in your environment that's cueing you, so I'm the same, I have my like big thing of water here. You know, every time you see that, you know, whether it's a positive habit or a negative habit, it cues you to engage with it. And that's why it's so important to engineer our environment to have all those supportive cues um, that will help us actually, you know, follow through with those um, healthy habits that matter to us. Where do you feel like being intuitive falls into this? Because I guess in terms of, let's say, my exercise um, routine, what motivates me to do that is knowing how great it makes me feel. And that's all it takes. It kind of is never an effort for me. I obviously don't do it if I feel like it. But it's kind of me knowing my body, if that makes sense. I don't know how easy this question is going to be to answer, but... I guess when someone comes to you and they're like, oh, like I have no willpower, I can't form a habit. What do you ever talk about kind of being more intuitive with your body and more in tune with your body in regards to what do you feel like you could benefit from? Can we use that as motivation? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I absolutely love that. What what you're kind of tapping into here is like intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And I, I think it's it's actually really important to talk about. So I'm really glad that you brought that up because there's kind of two key forms of motivation, which are intrinsic and extrinsic. So intrinsic is like, extrinsic is, you know, you're doing something for a time in a race, you know, you're running because you want to get a time in a race, or, you know, you're working because you want to get a particular, like, bonus, or, you know, you're working for the paycheck, or, you know, you want to be, you want to lose weight, because you want to be a specific weight on the scales. And all of these extrinsic goals, you know, they require other people to say, well done, they require like, you know, Instagram to tell you that you're doing a good job, they require kind of external, um, you know, support. Um, And they're quite different than intrinsic goals. And intrinsic 
intrinsic is a beautiful word because it comes from the Latin word called inward. Um, and, and it's also known as goods for the soul. Um, and intrinsic goals are those goals that are formed that are personally meaningful for you. And so, you know, you, you move because of the way it makes you feel, because it reinforces the type of identity you have, the person that you want to be, what you give back in the world, you know, and, and, and how you wish to feel each day. You know, it gives you more energy, more vitality, more confidence. And so if we pursue goals for intrinsic reasons, we're actually much less likely to deplete our, um, our willpower um, and we're much more likely to stick with those goals because when it becomes difficult and when we're faced with temptation, we're not doing it because we're doing it for someone else or for some extrinsic reason. We're doing it because of we see the inherent rewards in the process of the behavior. We're not focused on the outcome because outcomes alone are only a snapshot in time. And, and you know, they, they tend to be quite, quite fleeting. And then that's why I try and get people to work backwards from goals and start focusing on habits because a goal only represents a small, um, you know, moment in time where it's our daily habits that actually you know it's, it's it's like about falling in love with the process rather than becoming overly um you know focused on the outcome and so I feel like the place for being intuitive there is to to know and understand the why behind any goal that you have um you know why is it that you want to engage and and I I kind of talk about this and um Sophie, I think you've got background in psychology, you know, the mm. five whys, mm. um, where you ask someone, well, why, why do you want to lose weight? And, or why do you want to get fit? Or, you know, why do you want to manage your mental health better? Yeah, it's and really getting to the core. Yeah. And, and uh, when you uh, keep asking someone, well, I want to be fitter. Why do you want to be fitter? Because I want to have more confidence or energy in my day. Why do you want to have more energy? Because I want to be able to give back my work or give back to my ch- children or give back to my community. And why do you want to do that? Because I want to be happy. You know, and when you but why someone enough um, without really irritating them, <laughs> you know, you can get to that core and intrinsic. And I would suggest to anyone listening to do that, you know, any goal that you have, ask yourself why, you know, ask yeah. yourself why until you've exhausted the whys. 100%. And that can really help you like tap into that intrinsic motivation that can keep you going um, when things get hard. I think often there's so much expectation from other people and I work with clients and, you know, let's take the weight loss, for instance. And I said, why is, you know, being three pounds lighter so important to you? Sometimes they're like, actually, I don't know. You know, I think it's because we've been told smaller bodies are better. And that's not a reason, like, you know, or not a valid one anyway. You know, three pounds is so important. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I think that's really, really important to, to question. And like you said, just dig a little deeper and is it genuinely and question is it genuinely going to make you happy if you you know do implement these changes yeah and I think something that we also talk about is just like a lot of people do have a weight loss pursuit you know a lot of people do want to improve their habits but I think that something that we talk about on this podcast a lot is shifting the focus from weight to health Mm. and I feel like that is a shift from extrinsic motivation you know the number to health which is intrinsic how you feel Um, your energy levels, your sleeping patterns, you know, do you just feel more confident? Like you said, those are all intrinsic motivations. And I Mm. think that, you know, we're always encouraging people to shift from weight to health, which is exactly what you're, you kind of said in that more people are more likely to stick to their, stick to their habit forming process or their long-term goals when there's an intrinsic motivation, like Soph said, um, like you feel good when you work out versus someone working out to, you know, have a six pack, that would be um something that and you, you probably... hit the nail on the head there Barry because like actually some of 
for studies, like the long-term maintainers, they didn't, like, they saw it as a lifestyle, you know, they didn't see it as um, they were trying to lose weight for this wedding or this holiday or to, you know, impress someone else. They saw it as, they started to form an identity around it. They saw it as being healthy. And actually those people that were most unsuccessful were the people that were driven for those extrinsic reasons. And so, you know, if, you know, if, if it is something that we want so badly in life we need to really really tap into those intrinsic reasons and, and get to those bigger why so yeah I think what you said is absolutely on point yeah and I know that James Clare spoke about that in his book and we quoted him work all the time being like um every time you make a positive I forget I'm gonna botch this so terribly um <laughs> it's like when you you make a positive decision or an action in the right direction it's like a vote for the person that you want to become so if you can like visualize yeah. I want to be this person that you know like I don't know I can't think of an example I'm really tired um but like <laughs> every time you decide to put on your running shoes and even just go for a walk you're you're voting for that version of yourself that you're aspiring to be that's kind of what it reminded me of yeah ideal yeah no and I think you know it's it's you know there's a there's a certain argument for the approach being you know not necessarily about who you are now, but who do you want to become in, in ways? And, and, and I mean that in an intrinsic way, you know, um, well, I, I want to become someone who deeply cares about their health. And, you know, maybe I want to become a role model for my family or for my community or for others. Um, but ultimately, it's like, who do I want to become for me? And then who do I want to be in this world? And if we can kind of associate you know, our health behaviors with, with those and create identities around it, then, you know, we're much more likely to be able to stick with our habits um, over time. Yeah, I love that. I want to become a less stressed individual. So I always try and tidy my environments when I leave the room. <laughs> Because I feel like you should never walk into a stressful yeah, situation. Definitely. I do like, like the night before. I don't like coming down to or coming into a mess. One hundred percent. When we go to sleep, um, like we always watch TV on the couch and then go to sleep, and like I have to rearrange the pillows and fold the blankets and oh. stuff. And my partner makes so much fun. Outer of me. order, inner calm. Isn't that what they say? Yes, exactly. And he's like, "Well, like just do it tomorrow. Like you're so tired." And I'm just like, "No," because when I wake up in the morning. I want to come into an environment that's peaceful. Yeah. You're protecting your future self. Definitely. Yeah, I do the same. Yeah. Like my husband is coming to bed after me because um, I'm heavily pregnant at the moment. So I'm going to bed pretty early, but I'm like, rearrange the cushions before you come to bed. <laughs> Send him back out if he comes in yeah. and he hasn't done it. <laughs> that's so amazing. Um, I feel like I've learned a lot, even though like I feel like I've, I've I've known a lot about habit formation. Um, I think this conversation is really interesting in opening up the different perspectives into how people view habit change. Mm -hmm. And like we said at the beginning, like this, this chat has been mostly focused around health, but I think it's really interesting when you start applying the principles to maybe other aspects of your life, like maybe even like stress management, or you want to become, um, I don't know, like a leader or an entrepreneur. It's like, what are the small habits that you can implement now that are going to set you up for success later in your life? Yeah, absolutely. No, you're so right. It's, I, I keep saying like, you know, a one question I kind of ask myself is like, how do I be my future self's best friend? 
you know, how can I make decisions in the present moment that are going to best help out my my future self? I'm going to thank myself for it. So like you, you know, in the evening tidying up and, and you come down in the morning and it, you know, you're you're immediately thankful for your your former self for, for doing that for yourself. And, and that's that's one question that can really help people, um, you know, decide on a, a particular decision in the moment. definitely well thank you so much it's you've been like barry said really really interesting um and i'm sure a lot of people will now have a good think about how they can form some new positive habits yes amazing so can you um direct people signpost people to find out more about what you do and the courses that you offer and stuff if they're interested in making healthier habits yeah, absolutely. So my website is drheathermckee.co.uk. Um, and yeah, you can find out it's well, find out about the Bite Size Habits course there. I've got a free um, masterclass that people can watch that kind of helps them kickstart their healthy habit journey. They get a free habit blueprint so they can think about those kind of key questions to help them get started. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of free resources there. and um, yeah, it's all it's all focused around helping support people create those lasting changes. Amazing. We will put that in the show notes. Yes, thank I love you. it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, guys. It was really fun. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of the Forking Wellness Podcast. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe. And share with your friends if you love this episode. It really does help us get seen in the chart. You can now also order our Forking Wellness book anywhere books are sold. Order it on Amazon Prime for next day delivery. And Barnes & Noble in America. And if you love the book, we would so appreciate a review on Amazon. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and we really hope you enjoy it. We'll speak to you guys next week. Bye.